Pray with me, would you? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. You are eternal life. I pray that your presence will be here through your word, which you've given to us as your gift this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right. This is our year in the Gospel of John. Our mentor in helping us develop a heart-to-heart relationship with God, which is the theme of our year. Heart-to-heart. Our heart to God's heart. God's heart to our heart. Our heart, of course, is a tender thing. It's, it's an important thing. It's the center of who we are. It's our emotions, our will, our desire, our loyalty, our courage. It's also the place of sin and corruption, the need of redemption. God's heart, his grace, his mercy, his love, his truth, his faithfulness, the essence of who he is. John's gospel is the story of Jesus told with a special purpose that we might believe and that in believing we would have life in his name. It's so hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to believe. But it is not only possible that you believe, but it is actually God's will that you believe. And so I want to encourage us this morning that God is at work in you for his own purpose of giving you belief. And that's what we want to explore today as we look. Uh, we're moving slowly f- through the first chapter of John here because it's so dense. And as we had said before, the first chapter of John is like an overture to a symphony or a, a, a gr- greater work. You know, the, the overture kind of gives you hints at the theme musically of the music to come. And, uh, and so the uh, first chapter of John is kind of like an overture where we hear things said that will be unpacked as the gospel story unfolds. So if you'd like to follow along in your uh, service bulletin or in your scriptures, we'll be addressing uh, uh, the ninth through the 13th verses today of the first chapter. Now you can see um, the word that comes to us, first of all, is true light. True light true light. It implies right off the bat kind of a contrast with everything that's false. This isn't just any sort of light. It's the true light in contrast with everything false and everything that pretends to be greater than this light. And already you can see, and we're going to find out as we move along, there's an inbreaking of something, a conflict of a certain sort, or a, at least a contradiction of something. And the tension starts to build. The true light, the true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. This kind of harkens to what we heard from verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This light coming into the world conveys strength and purpose and will and determination and purpose and confidence. I'm just building up these words so we don't take for granted that this light didn't just, it's not like somebody kind of was walking by and decided to flip the light switch on all of a sudden. There's a strength and a, and a, and a, and a, a, a proactivity and a purpose and a will that comes in through the true light coming into the world. I hope you can see this now as a very strong declaration. This light gives light to everyone. 
every person. This gospel is a personal gospel. It's not an abstraction. It's a personal gospel. The whole meaning of the word incarnation is Christ becoming flesh and moving in closer and closer and closer to his domain, which is your heart. And you can see it even now that this light that was there from the beginning at the time of creation is now coming not just a little closer, but he's now coming into this world, and not only that, but to every man and every woman. He's coming to everyone. This light is giving light to every person. I think that's something we can kind of take to heart, too. It's not a question of whether or not the light's being shown. It is being shown. This true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's coming into the world, which means he's coming from somewhere. He's not from here, this light. This light is not from here. Though he made this world, all things were made by him and through him and for him. In this sense, Christ is coming in from the outside, in. And here's the point. This light is of a different quality and of a different nature than the lights that we experience here. He's coming from a place that existed before we ever were thought of. His place of glory, of radiance, and of beauty, and of life, and joy, and vitality. That's his place. And he doesn't leave the quality and the character of that place behind when he comes. That light that was there then when this world created, that light is what's coming in now. It's a strength. It's an eternal light. And he brings with that light all of that source of light. That light was the light of men, it says in verse 4, over which darkness could not overcome. We can see that by coming into the world, it also shows us that he is always taking the first step. Never think that God is reticent or that he's backing away. He's always leaning in. He's always coming close. He's always shining the light. He's always bringing himself closer to you. He takes the first step. All right, now, we start to learn what is this environment that he's coming into, and this is called the world. He was coming into the world. Greek there is cosmos. There are different ways that the world, the word world is used in Scripture. All right, the world can refer to the created matter, the things. Um, the world can, re can refer to just the, the space that this is. Oftentimes in John, this word cosmos refers to an order, the order of the world, and it's not good. In this sense, we're not talking about the cosmos in the sense that it was first referenced in Genesis when God looked at everything that he saw and it was good and it is good. We're not changing our minds on that. It's just that since that time, the cosmos has become an order that has been broken by sinfulness. It's a sphere of influence. It's just a web and a network of the way things work. And that order is what this light is breaking into. It's not just 
a geographical location. It's not just saying, oh, hey, Jesus is on the edge of town. No, he's, this light is shining into this order of influences, this web and this network of darkness that's the result of our own sin, the web of corruption and physical ailment and abuse and demonic activity and war and injustice and temptation. That's the cosmos, and that's what the light is shining on. That's what the word is coming into, and you can see what the purpose is, it's to undermine it and to stabilize it and to conquer it. It's very powerful what's happening here. John is moving us forward now into the domain of Christ's rule. That darkness could not overcome it. But there's a note of tragedy here is that he was come into the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world does not know him. And that's a sad fact because this world is his world and he did make it and he did not, he was not recognized by his own people, sinful people. And though made by God and made for God, they did not know him because they have rebelled against him. And not only that, following into verse seven, his own people, of all people, this is probably what this means when it says that Jesus came into his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people, his own domain, his own household, the Jewish people. It's tragic. Not only that, the Gentile people who never knew God, but even his own people who had the Torah, tragically, his own covenant people did not welcome him. Jesus for whom all things was made, all things were made, found his own place inhospitable and in his own place he was unwelcome. Now, if that had been me at this point, I know it sounds sacrilegious, but I, I would have just turned around. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I'd say, okay, folks, we're done here. <laughs> this isn't so good. I got a lot of better places to be. I mean, Jesus could be a lot of other places. I mean, just think about the cosmos of your own life. It's a rough neighborhood in there. I know some of us have had a rough week. Some of us have had a rough week. Some of us are struggling with the cosmos inside of us, like the cosmos that's dark and doesn't know Jesus, caught in a web of unbelief or sin, anxiety, the struggle against the impact of what other, things have, other people have done to us, bad memories, mistakes and failures, and that light shows up the darkness, the things that have been done. You know, this light that shines onto all man, there's a note of judgment in this. This light shines on things. Just like when you go into the apartment and you flip the light on and it shows the lights of the Christmas tree as well as the, you know, the cockroaches running for cover. That's what this light does. It exposes the shape of our heart but even so, the cosmos is still Jesus' territory. All the initiative belongs to him. He's coming from the outside to his place. He's the source of movement forward. He's the light. He's not turning on the light. He is the light. And the darkness could not overcome it. Take confidence in that. 
And we see already very quickly after this kind of strong but sobering note in verse 12, the foundation of darkness is cracking because look in verse 12, but to all who did receive him. I love that word but in chapter 12, that adversative. Yeah, you think it's going in this way, that darkness is there and he was rejected, his own people rejected, but to those who did believe, ah, the story is changing. It reminds me of what Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome where he's struggling with the same problem of unbelief. He said the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. So there's conquest here of his own t- territory. God is fulfilling his promises and the way we experience them is by faith. And that's my key point this morning, is to address the subject of our faith. Because God has given power to those who have faith. And the way that it's described here, two very important words, receiving and believing. Receiving and believing. Receiving and believing are inseparable, they're two aspects of of the same reality of saving faith. And the receiving part is the one that comes first. Remember, that's what you do when you're hospitable. You receive your guests. You welcome them. You have prepared for them. You love them. And you receive them. Receiving, think of a tight fist. Think of a tight fist opening, that's what it feels like to begin to receive. Your tight fist opening. Your hard heart unclenching. That's receiving and welcoming. Receiving is welcoming. It's relinquishing control. It's allowing God in. It's submitting yourself to him. It's opening your heart. That's receiving. That's hard to do. But to all who did receive him, we'll get there in a minute, that's the aspect of believing. Believing is not, he says, whoever did receive him, who believed in his name. Believing is not just simply mental assent. It's not even primarily simply mental assent, but it's a deeply rooted trust It's a confidence in God's will that is a result of knowing his nature. You're believing in his name. Name, of course, is kind of a reference to the essence or the the central aspect of somebody. And God had spent already by this time thousands of years slowly unpacking and revealing to the Jewish people his name its character, its quality, its integrity, its, 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 um, its oneness and its mercy, its faithfulness. The Lord is merciful. Believing is not just simply mental assent, it's a deeply rooted trust in his character. You cannot receive him, nor can you trust him if you do not know him. You can't receive him, nor can you trust him if you do not 
know him. Our faith languishes and atrophies and weakens when we're not connected, I'll just put it this way to be simple, when we're not connected emotionally in our hearts to the presence of Jesus Christ personally. Our faith languishes and it atrophies and weakens when we're not connected emotionally in our hearts to the presence of Jesus Christ personally, which is how and where we experience the truth of God's promises. Jesus didn't say, believe in the truth. He said, I am the truth. And whatever leads you to Jesus personally will increase your faith. And whatever tempts you away from him will decrease your faith. If we do not feel the presence of God with us in Jesus Christ, then while we may believe the doctrine, our hearts and our minds may be nonetheless filled with fear or complacency or anxiety or doubt or envy or even rebellion. All this because in reality, God is far from our hearts So a key question is, what is his essence? If our faith is built up and our receiving is made able because of his name, what name is this? What is the nature and character of God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ to us? Well, John says it in his letter as clear as day in 1 John 4, verse 8. God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, John says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's what you're putting your trust in. That's what you're receiving. That's whom you're welcoming in here. That means that his will is good. God's will is good. It means he's come to give you life. It means he's promised that everything in our lives will work together for our good, including the hard things, when we place our trust in him. His promises will not fail. He's making all things new. He's promised to give us all things. These are all the promises of God. This is God's nature, his name, his essence, and character. That's what we're receiving. That's what we're acknowledging. That's what we're trusting in, in the breaking in of this light into this cosmos of this world in our own hearts. And that's why the focus of John's words here in chapter, uh, verse one, verses 12 and 13, where he says, whoever believes, whoever receives and believes, he gives the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. This is the focus not on our action and our initiatives but on God's action and initiatives through Jesus. Faith again means receiving Jesus and believing in or trusting in the purposes of God for your life. For those who receive this light and who believe in the nature and character and will of God, he gives the right to become the children of God. It's a strong promise. 
And I love this word. Why does he use the word right? It's an interesting word. He gives us the right to become the children of God. Well, we have that right through Jesus, God's son. Jesus came into the world actually to to secure that right for you and me. That's why it's important to call Jesus God's son in this respect. He came to win for us through his obedience as a son, our sonship. Because Jesus was faithful as a son, he is able to confer to us the right of being sons and daughters of all who believe in him and to confer on them that status and privilege of being the father's children. And that's a tremendous gift. The right to become the children of God means that you have the privilege, first of all, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift of all, the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You have the gift of eternal life, meaningful, true life that will never end. You have the gift of the fulfillment of God's promises for you. We should pray for Caleb here. He's got the sneezes here, huh? You're gonna make it. It's God's will. It's God's will to confer on you the right of being a child of God because of your faith in the Son of God who was obedient and secured that right for you. And John says we become children of God by being born again. It's not just a little tweak to your character. It's not making you slightly better. It's not building on the damage of the cosmos. It's actually a new birth altogether. It's the strongest possible statement that could be made about us. We, you know, I know being born again has all kinds of bad connotations for people because we toss that around in, in America and it's been made light of, but it's the most precious phrase. It's the most, pre most precious phrase to think that you are a whole new person. You've been born again by the will of God. It's the strongest possible statement that could be made about you because there's no higher will than God's will and there is no more perfect work than his work. And when you're born again in him, you're a new creation. And that's why we read from that passage in Ephesians. So I'll just go down the list of things that apply to God's will. We are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption into his family, predestined according to the purpose and will of God, having the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. It's, I find it almost overwhelming to, to just simply ponder the depth and strength of that statement. It's hard to believe. It's so all-inclusive. Now the process, friends, is hard. The process of being born isn't easy. I mean, natural birth doesn't look easy for the mom and it sure doesn't look easy for the kid from my perspective. Neither one seems to go through it very easily. The Christian way of describing new birth deploys the language of baptism, where something dies so that something new can be born again. It's a messy process because that process is real. New birth is not hypothetical. 
The process of being born again is very real and it gives real and it takes the real shape of your actual life. I'll give you just a really quick example. I had, you know, in, I had a kind of a rough work week. I, 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 I have had a lot of account transitions and some new things that I got to sell which are complicated and I got absolutely I don't know what I, I got, I, I had this procurement guy at this company where I'm selling this big deal to just go after me on pricing. These procurement people, they, they're the ones that negotiate on price. Negotiation is a kind of a polite word for what actually happens uh, when you bring your proposal there. And uh, um, all of this kind of just hit me all at once and it just made me feel vulnerable and ashamed of myself and insecure, and all of a sudden, this snowball's rolling down the hill of my mind, and I'm feeling anxious and dislocated from Christ, and I mean, it's just an emotional state, and I know I'm only saying things that all of us can relate to here, and, you know, but the point is this. My new birth takes on the shape of my own life. How else do I expect to know what it means to have trust and faith in God if I don't have to have trust and faith in God over things that are hard to have trust and faith over? Easy for me to have trust and faith over your life if I don't know what's going on. If you tell me, oh, I had a bad day at work, I'm like, yeah, it'll get better. <laughs> Easy for me to say. But I know the guy that's in my head. I know his name. I know the sound of his voice very well. I can read the emails in my mind about what's, you know, that's my world. And you have your world. And my world might look so much easier than yours. But nonetheless, my world is my world and yours is yours and that's the world that Christ is making new. That's your cosmos that his light is shining on in your life particularly. And this struggle, friends, is a struggle for control. We have got to give up control we have got to take our clenched fist and open it. We have got to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, in the details of our lives. And that's always disorienting. When we're, ma when we're managing things that we find very easy, it's extremely easy to be magnanimous and generous and all the other things. But on those points where we're either obstinate or stubborn, rebellious or anxious or all the rest of those things, that's where we want to clasp tightly. It's disorienting and it's hard to receive. But that's why we're here in this body, light of Christ. Your brothers and sisters in Christ collaborate with the discernment of the Holy Spirit to help you open your hand. Every one of us has needed that. Not a single person here, myself included, has ever had the Holy Spirit work deeply in our lives, solo act. And that's the battle that we want to fight, is the battle to relinquish control. And when we find ourselves in that place where the compass doesn't seem to be pointing north anymore, that's where we need the brother and sister in Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be the anchor of our soul. Because God's will for you is to be, that you be born again, 
not by flesh and blood, but by his own will. Jesus doesn't soften the consequences, friends, of resistance. We're gonna find out in John chapter three, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, loving the darkness rather than the light. Condemnation is the result of resisting the will of God in your life. Remember, faith is receiving. Faith is receiving believing. And in the essence and the name of Jesus Christ, his love, his promise, his purpose, his goodness, to, 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 to run away from that and to uh, not believe means to invoke the condemnation of God. Friends, I appeal to you this morning to open your fist, open your heart, let go of the control of your own dark cosmos and receive the light of Christ. Trust in God's nature and in his character and his goodness and his love and his dependability and his promise Entrust yourself to him. Place yourself in his care and accept his will for you without trying to bend it to your own will. His purpose is good. He will not fail. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.